0: I would always say to myself, because I always got nervous, always, that's not unusual for me to be nervous and to um, feel that it really helped me most of the time, but I always would say to myself as I walked in the (laughs) ring, no matter how you do, your life's not going to change, and everybody's seen you do it really well and really bad, so just... Take a deep breath and do your job, and your life's not going to change.
1: Welcome to the Practical Horseman podcast, featuring conversations with respected riders, industry leaders, and horse care experts. The show is co-hosted by Practical Horseman editors, and our goal is to inform, educate, and inspire. I'm Sandy Olenek, and this week's episode is with top hunter rider and trainer, Luis Sirio. Louise and I spoke at the U.S. Hunter Jumper Association International Hunter Derby Finals in Lexington, Kentucky in August. She was there helping professional rider Jennifer Rotucci. I loved all of our conversation, but I especially like the part near the end where Louise shares her enthusiasm for the Derby Finals, talking about how beautifully the horses went and how it's cool that hunter riders can strategize to earn extra points in such a competitive field. Earlier in our conversation, Louisa's love for horses shines through. She says, I've had so many wonderful horses and each one has taught me something. I think that's one thing as a trainer. You learn that your horses teach you way more than you teach them. To fill you in on Louisa's background, she had an early start in pony club, which became the basis for a decades-long career as a top circuit rider and trainer. Her mother, Mary Warner Brown founded the Hillendale Pony Club in Kennett Square, Pennsylvania, where she taught legions of young riders. Mary taught Louise to ride based on classic training from legendary horsemen such as Captain Vladimir Tower, a proponent of Ford riding in America. Louise has consistently trained and ridden champions in every division at the most prestigious shows on the East Coast. In addition to being a two-time WCHR Professional Rider Champion, she won the WCHR Palm Beach Hunter Spectacular, been leading lady rider at the Devon Horse Show, and won the 2009 Old Spring House Trophy for Lifetime Achievement at the Capital Challenge Horse Show. She's represented the United States as part of the Hunter Team defeating the European Team at the 2009 World Cup Finals, and the hunter team at the 2010 Alltech FEI World Equestrian Games. She also was inducted into the National Show Hunter Hall of Fame in 2012. In terms of training, Louise's students, clients, and horses have qualified for Devon, the indoor shows, the USEF Junior Hunter National Championships, the USEF Hunter Seat Medal Finals, the ASPCA McLean National Championships, and the U.S. Pony Medal Finals for the past 30 years. Louise has also committed herself to growth and the future of the equestrian sport. In 1991, she helped found and create the World Champion Hunter Rider Program and the American Hunter Jumper Foundation, now part of the USHJA. Having served on multiple committees to improve the sport over the years, she earned the USHJA's Committee Excellence in Service Award in 2012. Horses are a family business for Louise. She lives at her Derby Down stables in Kennett Square, Pennsylvania, and Loxahatchee, Florida. Her daughter, Chrissy, is a riding professional, and her son, T.R., is a farrier. Her granddaughter, Mary Jo, splits her time between the English and Western worlds of riding. Before getting into the conversation, I'd like to share a word from this episode's sponsor, Horse Week. Don't miss a minute of the Horse Week action including profiles of incredible equestrians and equine athletes like Boyd Martin, Bliss Hears, and Doug Payne's Van Diver, storytelling that celebrates the horse-human bond, heartwarming tales of horse heroics, advice from world-class trainers, and more. Horse Week, brought to you by Boehringer Ingelheim, airs October 9th through the 15th, 2023. Tune in from the barn, office, or the comfort of your couch. Equine Network is making it easy to watch. Just visit horseweek.tv. Now let's jump right into the conversation where Louise starts by talking about how she
0: became interested in horses well i was fortunate enough to grow up with a family that was in the horse business my mother taught riding um, and really influenced our entire community around kennett square pennsylvania teaching riding to so many people so it was just a natural progression that i did that plus she provided my sister and i with a lot of fun things to do. It was very different back then, but we had ponies that we bred and we did pony club and there was always some activity. There were a lot of kids in the barn. So it was just a wonderful way to grow up and completely influenced by my mother. Mm
2: -hmm. Um, And now was she involved in like the competition aspect of it
0: or my uh, mother taught riding more than she competed she did compete when she was younger but it was not what she did as she got older she had a lot of students and a string of school horses that she taught from beginners on up and she went we went to local horse shows on the weekend you know back then Harrisburg, Devon, they were all local shows. You didn't have to qualify back then. (laughs) So those were our big events every year. So Mm -hmm. what is it about horses
2: and the sport that's kept you involved for so long?
0: Well, I think first you develop a love for the animal and an appreciation for them, their versatility and their huge opinions about what they like and don't like but it's such a wonderful way to live being associated or being connected to animals. I think it really keeps you grounded. And I think that it was always available to me, made it better where in some instances that might not be good, but it was so available and so fun. And the competition back then was very different and it was just, all i really ever wanted to do Mm
2: -hmm. how um you mentioned your mother um and it sounds like she was a big influence in your
0: horse life yes Um, did you have other mentors along the way you know what it it was kind of an odd time as i grew up the one person that i always looked up to was linda huff and she was from california and uh, would come back east and show and her daughter showed. And it was just really, uh, she was always such a classy lady and a real person that spoke her mind eloquently, but definitely spoke it and was very strong. So for me, I was always looking up to her.
2: How did you meet her since she was, I guess,
0: just from her traveling to the East Coast? or Just yes, she would come back. I remember the first time I saw her was at Upperville. And she was showing, and she always had very top horses, and I don't think I'd even knew where to say hello at that point. And then fortunately, you know, our community, you kind of get to know everybody, and you start a conversation one day, and then you get to know them a little bit more. And I don't remember that conversation, but I do know now that she's a dear friend and someone that I can call with any other situations that I'm, you know, having trouble with, so. Mm-hmm.
2: Great. Right. And um, in terms of, uh, you know, you're, you're obviously well-known as a hunter-rider and trainer. Um, how did you sort of um, gravitate to that discipline and what's kind of kept you?
0: Well, actually, I did jumpers back quite a while ago and did, I think I did, three Grand Prix. Now, they were way different back then. They were not like the Grand prix that you have today. And I really enjoyed it. Um, actually, Oliver Kennedy's father bought a jumper for me at one point. And I did that and, I, and we ended up selling him to Michael Match. But anyhow, I think you gravitate to where you're successful. And I had some wonderful hunters back in the 80s. It was a very competitive time. And I had some wonderful, wonderful hunters and clients that did the hunters. So I think you gravitate to what you, you know, where you're most successful. And that's where I was most successful. And back in the day, too, most people or a lot of people did both disciplines. You know, they did jumpers and hunters. You didn't really specialize. And then as time went on, everybody started to specialize in one or the other. So,
2: Mm Um. Can you talk about you you've obviously ridden some some very successful horses? um Can you talk about any that were either especially influential or important in your your career?
0: I think I've had so many wonderful horses, and each one has taught me something. I think that's one thing that, as a trainer, you learn that your horses teach you way more than you teach them (laughs) and you learn how to navigate their likes and dislikes so what i mentioned back in the late 80s early 90s i had one that we called the a team and that was harbor bay irresistible and catch a spark and they were extremely competitive and we had great horses that was back in the day of Tyndall and What'd You Say and Rave Review and Bavaria, you know, the the working hunters were really, really good. And those horses were very influential in getting me going. It was also soon after I was divorced, so I was suddenly the front runner in my business. So to have that group of horses um, really helped me kind of Grow my business and kind of figure out who I was at that point. As the time went on, I had some great horses. Gray Slipper was a great horse for me. I think one of my very favorite horses always was Castle Rock. And that was a horse owned by Brian Baldwin that I did. And there was just something about him. And he spent time at her farm. And when I would get on him after a while, you know, and meet in Wellington or whatever. I would always say to myself, this should be my horse. He just fit me, and we got along so well, and we really clicked. I don't know. He he just was always very, very special to me to ride, and he's long since, you know, gone, but <laughs> <laughs> he's been a really, he was a really fun, great horse, and one of my biggest wins ever was winning in Wellington the the spectacular one night with all the two banks in it and the the ring of fire and it was a huge course and a lot of fun. And that was a big that was a big win for me. It's one of the courses, honestly, that I can remember stride for stride. You know, when you do a lot of riding you kind of I don't really remember that round or you remember parts of it, but that was a round that everything just kinda of kept coming up and coming up perfectly. And, uh, I don't know, and I was on him. So it was really fun. Yeah. yeah. It's neat to have that, that kind of memory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um,
2: you know, you talked about um, uh, some of your favorable, favorable wins. Um, of course, we know in the sport, things don't always go as planned <laughs> and you don't often win as much as you would like. So how do you handle, you know, not winning something maybe you really wanted to or getting discouraged?
0: Well, honestly, the winning is super important. It was always the losing, obviously, that was really hard. But you had to always put it into perspective as to why it happened without blame for the, you know, we're, we're dealing with animals, too, that have good and bad days. And you just, I don't know, you just put it into perspective. And you got to be a fighter in this sport. You've got to fight your way back if things aren't going your well, your horse isn't going well, your clients are unhappy. You know, you've got to just keep your your sight on where you want to go and what you want to do. I would always say to myself, because I always got nervous, always. That's not unusual for me to be nervous and to um, feel that it really helped me most of the time. But I always would say to myself as I walked in the (laughs) ring, No matter how you do, your life's not going to change. And everybody's seen you do it really well and really bad. So just take a deep breath and do your job, and your life's not going to change. That's a good perspective. <laughs> yeah. Now, is that what you say to your students, or how do you? Yeah, I mean, for sure. They um, they get nervous, and I think it's important to stay calm for your students and know what they need. You know, they don't need you to suddenly change your training, just like the horses need to have things be somewhat predictable too. They're, they, I think predictability for the horses is so important. It's how you get some horses that are spooky to get over their anxiety about that, because things are predictable for them. And if you as a trainer suddenly change and start saying all kinds of different difficult things or getting a little bit angry I think it's a huge problem for the riders
2: do you have a routine before a big cup or you know when you were competing did you have a big uh, routine before you competed
0: (laughs) I had superstitions did you Always put my left boot on first. I do that with my shoes, do I have to poke? And I can't remember who started that. It might have been Peter Pletcher or somebody like that. I don't know. We were (laughs) talking about it, and then all of a sudden I have to do, I still do that. And I like to wear something new, which is the opposite of what usually people say, you know, don't wear anything new. Boy, I would have good, good shows when I wore new things, so. <laughs> you are buying a lot of new things then? <laughs> well, fortunately, I had wonderful sponsors like Ariat that was always providing me with wonderful new things to wear, so. <laughs> That's
2: neat. Um, getting into a little bit of training, what, what would you say your training philosophy is?
0: I would love to think it's um, somewhat compassionate and patient. One thing you do learn with horses is you have to be patient and you have to teach them rather than strong arm them into things. Now, there are times when discipline has to, you know, you have to have some discipline with it. But I think that if you're thoughtful and you think you spend just a little bit of time trying to figure out a different way to get to where you're going, that that's a much better way and the horses are much more comfortable. And um, I think starting them good flat work is super important from the very beginning, that that's the real way to getting them rideable. And that's really what you're looking for when you show is something that's rideable and listens and kind of understands what you're asking.
2: I guess sort of in a similar way, what would you, how would you describe a good horseman?
0: I think a good horseman kind of understands horses and is willing to put the horse ahead of the pressures that you sometimes get from owners or sometimes pressures to go in a direction that you don't want to go in. And that takes, you know, that takes years of experience to really be able to stand up for your you know to be your horse's biggest ally and i think good horsemen have good practices they know good care they know good vet work they know good farriers they know feed they know um, whether they need to get turned out a lot or you know it's just there's so many different little nuances to it and horses have a huge opinion. I mean, they they will tell you whether they like the feed or the farrier or the vet or the turnout. And just kind of listening to them. And I think there are a lot of people that do that.
2: Hmm. Um, and it seems like it must be hard to do that, like you know, at the, the top level when you're on
0: the road so
2: much. And you know, traveling to horse shows.
0: Well, you're exactly right. The culture of horse showing has changed so much. I would say within the past four or five years that a lot of trainers don't even own their own farms, or they have a home base in Michigan at that horse shows, horse show, or they come here to Kentucky, or they and then they spend the winter in Florida. So they don't really need to have a home base that they own they can rent everywhere and that truthfully in this day and age is probably an advantage (laughs) coming from somebody who owns two farms but it also it also is the way of the future when you get older that you have that equity that you have those things that you can sell or you know help you in your retirement years you know, whether when teaching students or yourself uh, training a horse, do you
2: have like a a favorite exercise or something that you feel like a go-to exercise or just something that works?
0: You know, what I use a lot is, um, excuse me, uh, just a small cavaletti on a circle, I think is such a wonderful exercise. Because the horses have to learn to shorten their stride. They have to stay on one lead. You have to, you as a rider, have to use all your age. Your outside rein becomes super important, which is something that you have to learn, that people have to learn to use a lot as they get into the upper levels. But I use that a lot to train with for the students to use their eye looking early looking through a turn for a distance to making the distance that you need at that little jump because little jumps need little distances um, to teach them how it feels when it's done right and wrong and it's such a simple little thing and you can make it as big a circle as you want and then you can make it smaller and smaller and It's just simple and it's easy, and it's not easy for young horses as you make it smaller and shorten the stride and short. You know that's where it really helps with the rideability. Mm -hmm. That's great, and that's something anybody can do. Just Mm -hmm. cavaletti or pull up. Yeah, on a little circle, just keep circling and fixing the distance, and uh, and you know look. As you progress, a lot of the distances you're going to see is before you make the turn. So your track to that distance becomes a way to make that distance fit perfectly in stride. So it's kind of the beginning of that concept, too. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And when teaching students, you know, whether it's your students or if if you're at a clinic, um, is there anything you see that students, you know, or amateurs have to work on?
0: I think that it's very simple that they really need to make sure that their basic equitation is there. Because if you are still fighting with heels down, shoulders back, arch your back, fix your hands, if you're still working on that, you are going to have a very hard time being effective when you start to jump. That really solidifying that position, um, and making it a habit that you're not having to worry about that, then you can really advance. And it's not something that you're thinking, oh my gosh, my hands are too high or something. And then then the distance is gone. You you actually can focus so much more on your effectiveness as a rider when you're jumping if you don't have to worry about your position. You don't see the upper levels of our sport ever worrying about you know, their basic equitation, I'll call it. Um, they don't have to because it's so solid and so strong. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just something that takes time, right, mm-hmm. on the flat. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm
2: um we've got to sort of your family you are a single mom in the horse business um it seems like that would have been really hard so i guess how did you do it how did you
0: well fortunately um i had we all lived on a farm in kennett square where i still live and my mom lived there and i had two children and i was they were very young when i became divorced and We didn't travel as much as we do now, but they had bedrooms at her house and at my house, and when I would go away, they'd move to her house, and she was really the rock that held it all together so that I could go out and become successful and make a living. And in return, I was buying the farm from her. So she was getting mortgage payments to support her. And she did a lot of fun things. She had driving horses and we would go fox hunting. And she became like a, a bunch of, she and her friends would go on tour to travel things. And <laughs> so it was really nice. And she was always, you know, always there for my kids, which is soup was... I couldn't have done it any other way. So they traveled with me a lot in the summertime. We spent a lot of weeks in Culpeper, Virginia, (laughs) with (laughs) them growing up. That was when we'd show there, like, you know, we'd go, we would go and stay there for a number of weeks in a row. So, Mm
2: -hmm. um Now, your daughter, Chrissy, uh, and your
0: granddaughter, Mary, I believe, they're both involved with horses. And I think your son is a farrier. My son's a farrier. My daughter helps me in my business and helps ride and manage. And then my granddaughter also does the hunters and jumpers. She has a new jumper she's doing now. but. When my mother had my kids, my son was very interested in western things and roping, and so she got him very interested in that so Now he married a girl who was a world champion in the paint world in the uh and when raining so now my granddaughter does rodeo um Hunters, jumpers, bow racing, pole bending, <laughs> uh, rope. You know, she does all the rodeo stuff and does the junior high rodeo. She just went to the junior high rodeo finals in Perry, Georgia. And wow! I only get her part time because of that, you know, and it's she goes back and forth between the two. But it's really nice because. What it doesn't do to her is make her so focused on qualifying for something because I get all like, okay, well, we can go do this, and then we can qualify for that, and my son's like, calm down, Mom. (laughs) (laughs) I just want her to have fun. We don't have to worry about qualifying. So it's just kind of a nice balance for me who has always been, you know, we're always trying to get somewhere else and commit to this and go there and qualify for that and... Yeah. He's like, no, not interested. <laughs>
2: that, that, that is neat. It sort of
0: seems like it brings it right down back yeah. to the oh, basics yeah. of what what. Uh, he puts you get a puts a chain right under my lip and says no. <laughs> <laughs> oh. um, so you decided to retire from competition.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, I guess when did you do that, and then and why did you decide to do that?
0: It was kind of an evolution. I didn't really want it to be like this big deal. Um, I rode hard for a lot of years, and I now have back problems and a knee that's not very happy, and it kind of became, it kind of became, if I want to keep, you know, physically active as I get older, I think I really need to slow down. And then I didn't really have a lot of horses. You know, once you've been at the top and you've won a lot, and you're suddenly... Not, it's nowhere near as <clears throat> much fun, basically, just, you know, not to be selfish, but anyway. So it became less important. And I have to say, I really enjoyed the training. I think I'm a better trainer now than I've ever been and teacher because it's um, it's priority. Before it was always riding and showing and, you know, the and doing all that. But now the training part of it has become way way more important. I have young horse camps at my farm where people send their young horses in and they stay for four days and I have my riders ride them and we bring them along and work on the difficult parts of what they need and it's fun to go back and uh, really work with horses that don't know so much and actually some of them are older horses that just need a little touching up or need me to identify what i think would help them progress so there's just there's so many other things out there that you can do with horses that that is much different than competing at the top level but i still love coming to the top level yeah (laughs) i still want to be there and i still (laughs) want to participate in it whether even though i'm not riding to have horses that do it and We're here in Kentucky right now and to come and to watch the hunters this week is just everybody should do that because they have gone beautifully. The incentive, the first round of the derby yesterday was just outstanding. I mean, it's just the quality of horses is way, way up. Right, So that's what, um, you know, that's what like Hattosh and and John French when we were at
2: the press conference, um, you know, and Hannah. Yeah. were, We're just like, I think Hannah said she ended up doing the high option. She's like, because she's like, there were a lot of good rounds before. Yeah. <laughs> so I decided I better kind of step up and yeah. give it my all.
0: That's this. that's the cool thing about the derby is you can start, your, start in one place and end up in another. You can say, well, I'm not going to do that high option. But then all of a sudden... The competition's tough, and you need those extra points. You it it makes you have a strategy, which is really it's really fun to see them and to hear Hannah say something like that. Is exactly how it should be. It's like when you're doing a handy round, and you, all all right, I was a little slow to that jump. I got to step it up and go more inside and do this, this, and this, and you can do that strategy on course too. So neat,
2: neat. yeah, that is a good point. Mm-hmm.
0: It's, it's not just sort of your typical course, but that you have to right, a, right you want to make up some points, you better change your plan and really go for it. So Mm
2: -hmm. Um, I guess, you know, just to wrap up, you know, why do you think you've been so successful for such a a long period of time?
0: Lucky. (laughs) (laughs) Being at the right place at the right time and having good horses, you know, the the whole, it all goes back to having good horses Mm -hmm. and to make good horses, you know. I think I've been fortunate to have some wonderful clients that have trusted me to buy good horses and then we make them up and, you know, I, I, I just think that that's probably it, just having good horses. Great. Well, thank you
2: very much. This has been a great conversation. and I really appreciate it. You're welcome, it was fun.
1: Thanks for listening to this week's episode with Louise Sirio. And a big thank you to the episode's sponsor, Horse Week. Learn more at horseweek.tv. You can subscribe to the Practical Horseman podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. While there, please rate and review the show. I'm Sandy Olenek, and you've been listening to the Practical Horseman podcast.